You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is EE Times Current. I'm Eric Singer. Today's podcast is sponsored by Power Integrations, the leader in high-voltage integrated circuits for energy-efficient power conversion. Today's feature interview is with Doug Bailey, VP of Marketing and Applications Engineering at Power Integrations. First, here are some headlines we're covering in EE Times. Les Cohn, L4 will need multiple big chips. In an exclusive interview with EE Times correspondent Sally Ward-Foxton, Amberella CTO Les Cohn touches on the increasing demand for AI accelerators in vehicles, the company's AI accelerator engines, sparse processing, and more. PCB Association presses Washington for Lifeline. Top U.S. PCB executives urged legislators to push for incentives that would save a vital part of the domestic electronics supply chain. It is a now-or-never moment to bring back the PCB industry from Asia, one expert claims. AI can't design chips without people. While AI is a useful productivity tool that helps reduce errors and increase accuracy, we're still a long way from it replacing design engineers. AI still requires human domain expertise to solve chip design challenges. Being a power engineer is like being a soccer goalie. No one notices you until you fail and let one in. And if you're controlling enough power, everyone will notice because failure is typically accompanied by a startling bang and cloud of smoke. Wide band gap technology, and GAN in particular, is relatively new. So how can a responsible engineer be convinced that the technology is ready for prime time and avoid an own goal, particularly in application spaces where lives or big bags of money are riding on uninterrupted operation? Doug Bailey is with us today to talk about this. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. Doug, Power Integrations has put a lot of GAN chips into chargers over the years. How do you convince people that your GAN chips have the appropriate quality, reliability, and robustness that's needed for things like cars, appliances, and other electronics that have higher expectations and failure consequences, as well as longer lifespans and tougher operating conditions than those chargers? Yeah, good question. We've been shipping GAN now since the fall of 2018, five years or so. And before we shipped it, before the first shipments, we were nervous. We were confident and we were nervous at the same time. Mm -hmm. We were confident because we'd done so much testing on it. We'd gone through all of the JEDEC alphabet soup of tests. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, there are really so many, both new ones specifically for GAN, but also the old silicon tests. We tested them as if they were using the IC models, but we also tested them as discrete. So we tested them using the discrete JEDEC models and everything passed. But there's nothing like a date with the real world to, <laughs> to, to mess up your plans and disabuse you of any false confidence. Yeah. <laughs> so we were quite nervous, but we shipped a lot of parts and we shipped them into the charger market. And the reason that we did that was that the charger market moves a lot of material, millions yeah. and millions of parts. Quickly. Uh, yeah. Cell phone chargers, the notebook adapters, they're yeah. all in the hundreds of millions or tens of millions. And so you very quickly get a signal if something is wrong. And they they don't like don't like to have a big bag of bad ones. So that's what we chose to do. And we were 
very pleasantly surprised by the low failure rate in those applications. We've got a, a small cup, you know, about two thirds of a cup full of bad parts that we collected over the years. It's not very many. And we've, we've got about a trillion device hours when you combine the wow. number of parts that we've, we've shipped with the number of, of hours they've been, we estimate that they've been operating. We have about a trillion device hours. So pretty good rate. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> we're so happy with the technology that we went ahead and qualified it for automotive. And that's a whole new basket of tests. There are some that are unique for automotive, a lot of on-off tests to, to test their robustness against thermal and voltage cycling. But then there are enhanced humidity and temperature tests as well. H3TRB is one of those kinds of tests. And there's a couple of mil-spec tests that we threw in there. Yeah, the we actually qualified the 900-volt variant of our product wow. for automotive use. All right. I want to get into the automotive use a little bit later in our talk. But for now, I'd like to ask about whether you see GAN as fit for everything. See what I did there? I don't know if you could hear. That was an acronym, FIT. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, for those who don't know, fail, fit is failures in time, which is a it's a measure of intrinsic quality, the one failure per billion device hours is one fit. Now, because we've been running these parts for so long, we can actually measure fit. We don't have to do it theoretically. Mm. And our fit rate is 2.1, which means that you know, we should get 2.1 failures every billion hours, which means your average part lasts about about 50,000 years. The average part is 50,000 years. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you're a Planet of the Apes fan. You and, know and I you, am. Yeah, <laughs> you need to uh, scavenge a GAN power supply on the Planet of the Apes. But yeah, you should definitely choose the GAN if you need to get a power supply. But I would, uh, would definitely recommend replacing the electrolytic caps. <laughs> So we've talked a lot about chargers. Let's bump up our voltage here. 650 volts, pretty common node for GAN. But you guys have 750 volts, and recently I hear talk about 900 volts. Is that a technical innovation or a business choice being driven by the market? Yeah, it's actually both. We've been shipping into appliances now for over three years, shipping GAN into appliances for over three years. Appliances are not new for us. We actually launched 750 volts. That's what we went out with to start with. Mm. The reason I mentioned 650 is it's the lowest voltage that you would want to use in a consumer application. But we consider that a little bit skinny for, for margin. And so we like to have higher than that. Our standard silicon is at 725, mm. but the GAN's at 750. And that's because you really need to be able to handle real-world excursions on the main. So mains power, you know, the way it's shown in the books, it's all a very nice, well-behaved sine wave at plus or minus 115 volts or 230 volts. But it isn't that way. Mm. It's sometimes it's a square wave. Sometimes it's got, you know, it goes up to over 300 or up to 400 volts, particularly in, in India where they can get to some nasty ring wave situations. You get lightning strikes, you get phase-to-phase -phase shorts. And so built-in equipment, and I'm thinking appliances like refrigerators. If you get a one of these big kind of, you know, high-end, sub-zero kind of fridges, 
having the power supply break is just the worst thing because you can't even haul it out of its space you to repair it very easily. It can damage the inside the built-in kitchens. You get a fridge full of damaged, you know, rotten food. It's a disaster. You really have to be super careful to give enough margin in appliances and also have something that's high reliability, which gets back to that fit rate. So we have 750 volts. And then we launched the 900 volts, and that is especially useful for expensive equipment in places with unstable mains. And it's also really good for automotive applications. Uh, Even though in a car you might have a 400-volt battery, EVs have a mode of operation, regeneration, where when you put your foot on the brake, you're not really clamping brake pads around a rotor anymore. It's, it's using the inverter and back charging the battery so that you recover that energy. But in order to recover the energy, you've got to put it back in the battery. And that means you need a higher voltage than the battery. And so you can be up in the 520 volts or 550 volts. Mm. And that means things like small power supplies that are attached to that bus need to be able to withstand higher voltages. And that's what the 900 volt GAN is for. That makes sense. And we're continuing to push the voltage higher as well. We've got some R&D activities and we'll be you know, moving higher in voltage just as, just as soon as the technical guys you know, say they're happy with it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the, the race to high voltage. There's, I know you all have made a decision to go with a depletion mode device and to use cast coding. And... I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. If you can shed some light on depletion mode and cast code, and I will give you five additional bonus points if you use the term Miller effect in your answer. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I may not be able to get the bonus points to work on that one. But I can tell you the, the reason that the depletion mode and cast code choice was highly controversial. Most other companies have gone with enhancement mode. But I think that was a decision that they made because they're trying to replace a standard MOSFET. They want to be in the discrete business. And in the discrete business, replacing a MOSFET, you really want to have a normally off part because most architectures are designed to require it. We're very comfortable with a normally on transistor because fundamentally our silicon works that way as well. We, we have a, a structure that that looks very similar to a normally on part. So we're very comfortable with it. And so we, we went with the depletion mode with the cascode. What we found with the depletion mode is it's, we believe it's far more robust than enhancement mode. It's got, it's got a far more margin on the gate. The way a GAN hemped works is you take a layer of gallium nitride and then you have a layer on top of that has some atoms inserted into it it's not a really a dopant but it's just it's a mechanical effect rather than an electrical one but it's like a vernier where you have a very regular pattern of atoms and then you have another very regular pattern of atoms with a slightly different pitch but the atoms still want to attach to each other in the same pitch as the first atoms. So that creates massive strains. And you can have compressive strains or tensile strains. But that strain liberates free electrons in what they call a 2D gas. So if you can connect to that, you can drive current at very low resistance through this 2D gas. 
And that's the normally on part of GAN. And that's the natural state that GAN wants to be in is this normally on state. You can play tricks to make it normally off, but that, that creates issues with your gate and issues with reliability and issues with size because it's hard to fully enhance the channel. So we have this advantage in, high, in going to high voltage and we have an advantage in size. Our die are far smaller than a normally on, normally off die. And so those two advantages give us, a, I think, a head start in, in moving up the voltage range and in also in, in being cost effective against, against silicon. So, it, you know, we can control it with logic level switches and so on. So it's a all-round better way of, of going, and we're happy we made that choice. Yeah, that's uh, solving multiple problems there. I'd like now if we can look into the future, though slightly less distant than the planet of the apes, let's say years, not <laughs> millennia, will GAN replace silicon? Uh, I think it probably will. The They're not GAN zealots, right? There, there are some companies who are founded on GAN and they make, put GAN in their names or the only thing they make is GAN. Mm. And, you know, they may have a different opinion for commercial reasons. But we have silicon, we have GAN, we have silicon carbide as well. So we're not latched up on it, but we like GAN a lot because of the low RDS on and we think the cost is on a trajectory that will make GAN cheaper than silicon, certainly silicon unipolar devices, you know, MOSFETs and so on. What? Uh, and then it's always cheaper than silicon carbide. Silicon carbide is a, you have to process it at very high temperatures and, you know, 2,500 centigrade and so on. And when you get up to those temperatures, it takes an enormous amount of energy. So if you look at the material set, you know, silicon, carbon, nitrogen, they're all, you know, common elements you know, floating around us. <laughs> Gallium is the only kind of weird thing, but it turns out that stuff comes, to fr comes for free when you mine aluminum. Mm -hmm. So there's tons of that around as well. So the elements themselves are not expensive or rare. So when you think about how do you going to, you know, what's the cost structure of these things, the ultimate cost structure is around energy, the energy required to process them. You know, even machine cost gets amortized eventually over time. And, and silicon carbide just has a massive energy budget. So we're expecting that if that GAN will always be cheaper than silicon carbide, and for, if it can do the job, yeah. and then GAN will approach or you know, surpass unipolar silicon and be knocking on the door of bipolar <laughs> silicon, things like IGBTs, relatively quickly. So I'd say, yeah, GAN, GAN's going GAN's to take over in applications where it can technically achieve the desired goal. A very high currents, you know, yeah. that you're better off using an IGPT, very high voltages, you're better off using silicon carbide, mm -hmm. up to about 2,000 volts or you're under you know, a few hundred amps. I think GAN is going to be the way to go. Yeah. So do you think we as an industry need to rethink design fundamentals as GAN replaces silicon in the future? Does the industry need to change? Not much. Yes and no. Let me qualify that and clarify a little bit because that wasn't very, very clear. <laughs> but we've gone out of our way to make our GAN easy to use. 
So we, you know, we put it inside a very familiar product. Our product's very familiar to our customers. The inner switch switcher device was our first product. We put it in, in, in there and we already had a version of it that was silicon. And we've since come out with a version of it for 1700 volts for silicon carbide. And you, an engineer using that part will see nothing different except for an increase in efficiency and the amount of power it can deliver within, a, within in the same package. So from the point of view, of is it easy to use? Yes. So you don't need to change anything. But I think what you will find is that the topologies of power supplies will change. What If you think back to sort of EE 101 class at university, the first thing they do is they show you a, an ideal switch and explain how an ideal switch works. And then... You know, the very next week they explain, well, that's not really how it works because you've got all these parasitics. You've got COSS, the, uh, the drain source capacitance to deal with. You've got Miller effect. You know, do I get my <laughs> point? You've got, you know, gate charges and so on. And so most of the power supply topologies that have been invented, you know, from flyback to buck to resonant to, you know, LLCs and boosts and SIPICs and so on, they're they were developed to overcome the parasitics and lousy performance of the exist the switches that existed at the time these things were invented what gan does because it has low parasitics is it allows you to use a topology that's simple to a higher power level we're we're showing flyback power supplies now at 200 220 watts wow. so nobody you know, nobody would even think of using a, a flyback at that kind of power level, you know, five or 10 years ago. But we, but it's the simplest power supply, really, it's the simplest isolated power supply. Mm. And it just works so well. And so that's where things will change and people can get the efficiency they need and the power they need out of simpler topologies without having the downsides of resonance and you know, the dynamic range compression that those kinds of structures tend to force on a, on an engineer. Yeah, a lot, lot fewer compromises than one would expect with the introduction of a technology this revolutionary. Yeah, that, that's, I think, the way to think of it, is that it, it is a revolution, but it isn't a hard one. So you, GAN is a free win yeah. for everybody. It's, you get all these benefits, and there really aren't any nasty, nasty downsides. Yeah, we, the commercial for GAN does not include 60 seconds of, of side effects that you may experience. No, you do not turn. need to be a professional driver on a closed course. <laughs> <laughs> but do not take GAN internally. <laughs> Actually, gallium has no biological function. Did you know that? Interesting. It's, Pass it right through? It's not used in, in biology. It's not like one of these nasty chemicals like lead or something where it has a debilitating effect. So GAN is, a, as far as anybody knows, anyway, is a safe chemical <laughs> for, the, for the environment. That's what legal department is definitely going to weigh in on that endorsement of eating <laughs> GAN. <laughs> well, let's come out of the Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, it is always such a joy having you on our program. You have once again brought me knowledge, laughter, and most importantly, the opportunity for bad puns. Last time you were on, you also brought me cold, hard cash. 
that was a thank you from my utility company for recycling my old beer fridge in my garage that you convinced me to do. Doug, are you offering fabulous prizes today? Yes, in fact, I am. And you can enter. There, there are no restrictions. Ooh, Anybody right. can All enter. Right. Okay, so what I've got is I got 10 65-watt USB PD power supplies. They've got a couple of our devices in. One of them is an inner switch flyback, but the other one is a clever device called a mini cap. And what that does is it switches in the bulk cap so that you can use a low-line bulk cap in a high-line product and save a whole bunch of volume. So these are tiny adapters, and uh, yeah, you can win them. Oh, so, all right. So how do folks, can I just, I can't just have all of them. Presumably we're going to open this up to listeners in, in addition to myself and our engineer here. How do our listeners enter this fabulous contest? Okay. All right. So it's, it's online. You got to go on the website and you need to do a little QA math. Okay. So I introduced a QA concept earlier on with, and I gave a number and what I'd suggest you do is go onto the website and figure out how many of a million GAN devices that were manufactured today would still be working at first contact. Oh. Now, you know, right, yeah, wait, you for, are, for clarity, I'm a total, I'm a total we, tricky flat. Uh, you know, I am too. Are we talking about the year that the crew travels to? With first no, contact? No, I, I'm talking about Zephyr Cochrane. Flying the Phoenix. I want to know if you're sitting in the Phoenix, how scared are you that the fast fly is going to be dead? <laughs> That's right. what I want to know. All, All right. right. So go online and state your number of how many, what are the chances of a, uh, of a GAN pass fly still working by first contact? And let me know whether you'd want to sit, sit next to Riker on that, on that uh, spacecraft. <laughs> no, knowing that scavenged GAN was in place in a critical system, that could go yes. horribly wrong. It could go horribly wrong, but it probably wouldn't. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So again, based on the key QA concept that Doug mentioned earlier and the number he mentioned to three significant digits, how many out of a million GAN devices built today would still be working by first contact. Thank you so much, Doug. We always appreciate you being on the show, bringing us all the latest information on power technology. Doug is VP of Marketing and Applications Engineering at Power Integrations. Doug Bailey, thank you again so much for being on the program. Thank you, Eric. It's always a pleasure. That brings another episode of EE Times Current to its end. Thank you for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Doug Bailey, VP of Marketing and Applications Engineering from Power Integrations. EE Times Current is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned, along with other resources. EE Times Current is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin at Coop Studios. Our segment producer was Stephanie Munoz. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>